Welcome to another Direct Connect here with Archer. Today I'm joined by Steve Parker and Leonard Chamberlain, and as usual, I'm still Nick Weber. Uh, today we've got a little bit of a random roundup heading into uh, middle of May. I'm not sure where spring came from, but uh, Steve, Leonard, how are you guys doing? Well, I'm doing good in spring. You know, actually, we jumped right to summer here in uh, in Portland area in Oregon and uh, enjoying a week in the 80s, so loving it. Doing well. Thank you, Nick. Um, yeah, it's um, overcast rainy here today in Austin, Texas. That sounds fabulous. <laughs> you know, kind of this week we got a, a couple different things, but I want to start off with talking about some of the, the bigger events that hit in the last week or so with Dragos and then the ABB. Kind of Leonard, what are you, what are your takeaways? Let you kick that one off. What do you? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'll start with Dragos since that one, uh, I think hit the news uh, first, uh, even though it uh, technically happened uh, second, <laughs> according to the timeline. Uh, but uh, Dragos uh, self-reported on this, um, which is cool of them to, to share information on, on themselves. Uh, but essentially on May 8th, um, they didn't identify who. They just said a known cyber criminal group attempted and failed an extortion scheme against their company. Um, they're reporting that no Dragos systems were breached. Um, however, they, they were able to gain access um, to uh, Dragos uh, via compromising the personal email address of a new employee that was uh, fixing to start prior to their start date uh, and subsequently used their personal information to impersonate the, the new hire and accomplish initial steps in the employee onboarding process. So that's, uh, that's a pretty interesting uh, avenue of attack. They, uh, they're reporting that their layered security controls, that they, they're confident that's what prevented the uh, threat actor from accomplishing what they uh, believe to be their objective, which was to unleash uh, ransomware on the Dragos uh, network. They were also prevented from accomplishing lateral movement, escalating privileges, establishing persistent access, or making any changes to the infrastructure. They published a timeline. Uh, it looks like the employee... or. Uh, the fake employee, i.e. The, the threat actor, um, you know, had access to their system for around 11 hours and uh, was able to access some general use data, approximately 25 Dragos Intel reports that are normally available to customers. But uh, from there, they just um, continued to, to hit some brick walls and accessing some of the other systems. Uh, they were able to access uh, a customer support system, but uh, no data access due to RBAC controls. Same thing with uh, financial systems. RBAC shut them down there. Uh, successful access of Drago's contract management system. Each of these things are occurring in like, um, you know, half hour increments, 15 minute increments. You know, the next uh, system is targeted. So it's really interesting stepping through the timeline from that perspective. Um, successful access to the contract management system, unsuccessful access to RFP system due to RBAC. Um, yeah, but RBAC controls, I continue mentioning that um, that's what uh, appears to have stopped the uh, penetration in, in specific systems. Uh, at any rate, at 11 hours and nine minutes, they, I guess, decided that they weren't going to be able to access anything else and sent extortion email 
to uh, Drago's executives outside of business hours. So then there's a uh, approximately five, almost six hour delay until the executives read the emails and then then their triage and um, instant response kicks off. And very quickly, um, you know, four minutes after reading the email, they disabled the user account, revoked all sessions. And then uh, approximately 22 minutes later, they blocked the uh, criminal infrastructure from accessing Drago's resources. So very quick uh, turnaround from that perspective. Um, they shared some lessons learned. Um, they believe uh, an additional verification step and further hardening the onboard process so that this technique cannot be repeated. I think that's interesting and, you know, all organizations should take note of that. Uh, the multi-step access approval, um, they're considering expanding the use of that control based on system criticality because, again, they feel that that was... Um, the key uh, control that thwarted that uh, access attempts. Uh, positive outcomes further reinforce um, their resolve not to engage or negotiate with cyber criminals. Um, it's kind of funny looking at snapshots of the extortion messages. You know, you've 48 hours to pay up, you know, do the right thing. Um, even kind of harassing family members uh, was what it looked like from some of the uh, executive uh, snapshots that they shared. Um, and then finally, their verbose system activity logs enabled that rapid triage and containment of the event. Um, so, yeah, multi-factor authentication, logging, you know, scrutinizing emails for typical phishing triggers, um, separation of duties, least privilege. All of these things really helped contribute to, uh, to Dragos and their ability to quickly contain that once they were aware of what was going on. I know I saw some screenshots of the the executive threats and kept coming back to the quote from dodgeball. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. I'm not <laughs> sure I would, I'd, I'd go that hard at someone like Dragos. Yeah. Yep. Somebody's brave. Um, but definitely lessons learned, pick on that onboarding piece um, in, a, in a time where we may not see employees until they've been working for us for a while. You know, Steve, you've been around that remote space for quite a while now. Is that something you'd ever considered? Whether Archer, EnergySec, others, no, the the onboarding piece was interesting, and I think that's probably a, a pretty common weakness because the challenge is you don't have any source of trust with the new employee. You don't have anything existing other than you know, there might be some some biometrics from the interview if you did that in person or if you did it via a, a video call. Um, but certainly it does uh, suggest that there might be some some tightening needed there. I, I think it's probably common for you know in an onboarding a lot of the access to get set up before the employee actually starts work. And so there could be a lesson learned there that maybe you just eat the first day and make sure that person gets in. You can, you know, um, visually or in person verify that they have their credentials and multi-factor set up and it is them and not somebody else. Um, it sounds like, you know, they just uh, probably had a password reset done using the person's uh, information. And so um, clever, clever attack. I don't know that I've seen something like that happen in the past, but, uh, you know, another topic Leonard, as Leonard had mentioned, they mentioned their their verbose application logging. And I think that's something that we probably don't see quite as common. Um, you know, logins and failed logins are very commonly logged and audited, but activity within an application, maybe not so much. So it sounds like they might've had maybe more robust logs than might be common. So that, that could be a takeaway for a lot of people. 
And definitely a lot to learn. The other piece I think is the uh, amount of information leaked from the individual there to allow them to be uh, compromised that way. It made, made me step back and wonder, okay, how much am I putting out, whether it's LinkedIn, various websites, speaking engagements. There's a, way too much information out there for someone as boring as me. It makes me wonder about that, be a little more careful. Um, what we used to consider paranoid might be the, the bare, bare minimum now. Um, switch yeah, over to the, the AB. Oh, go ahead, Leonard. No, I was going to agree with that that <laughs> perspective. Um, you know, if you're um, a high value target vendor or whatever the case may be, um, maybe uh, and, and Drago doesn't mention what their you know uh, additional hardening of their hiring process they thought about doing, but yeah, maybe telling people, hey, don't go out and tell the world, hey, I'm I just got a job at Drago's or wherever. Um, you know that that probably to your point that's red flag there for somebody that's uh, looking for a target. I wonder how much that'll impact job searches as well. If somebody has too big of a digital footprint, is that going to be considered maybe a, an onboarding risk or hiring risk? Switch gears a little bit over to the ABB one. What can you tell us about that, Leonard? Sure. So that one, um, that not as much information uh, available on that. I don't know if that's a, a commentary on uh, ABB versus Dragos and their uh, willingness to be open or if it's just um, there's not uh, a whole lot of intel to share yet but uh, this looks like it happened the day before on May 7th but um, the, the reporting is that uh, ABB fell victim to a cyber attack uh, that's been attributed to the Black Basta uh, ransomware gang um, that's a Russia linked cyber criminal group but uh, their tool of choice is ransomware so um yeah, multiple employees have uh, reportedly, you know, talked to different security organizations, trade rags, and, uh, you know, talked about this uh, ransomware attack that's uh, affected the company's Windows Active Directory, hundreds of devices, so supposedly. Um, in response to the attack, ABB apparently terminated um, their VPN connections with its customers to prevent the spread of the ransomware to other networks. The degree to which that was executed, you know, in a timely fashion, uh, we don't know yet, but, um, you know, the um, whistleblowers, if you will, are, you know, remaining anonymous. And so I guess there's just not a whole lot of information out there yet. Um, interestingly, ABB initially declined to comment on the uh, cyber attack but then uh, released a statement stating that they had recently detected an IT security incident that directly affected certain locations and systems. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, I'd be curious how many of these um, connections that they cut um, were SIP 13 specific, you know, did they only cut the ones they were contractually obligated to? Um, or did they cut all the connections? Uh, same thing with any notifications to their clients. You know, did they notify every client, you know, or only a subset of their clients that um, had SIP 13 specific, you know, procurement language that had been um, enacted that requires those notifications? Uh, but yeah, that's, that's all I got on that one. Should be more to come on that one. But Steve, what are your initial takeaways on that one? Well, Leonard mentioned SIP 13. That was one of the first things that came to mind. Uh, 
well, not actually SIP 13, I guess it would be SIP 5 technically, but uh, the supply chain standards more generally. Um, and there are, of course, requirements to be aware of your vendor connections when they're active and have the ability to uh, to cut those connections. So this is a, a classic case of why those standards are in there when a vendor is compromised. And, and I say when, not if, because everybody will get hit eventually. Uh, being able to cut those remote connections is going to you know, provide a buffer from whatever may be going on on that vendor network. So it's a good, a good story to tell. Anyone out there that hasn't uh, yet uh, heard about this, if you have any active vendor connections to uh, ABB, you might uh, think about leveraging your SIP5 R R2 um, identification and termination of that connection uh, ASAP. I'd say when in doubt, even if you don't necessarily have that, look at the connections you do have. These things rarely happen in a vacuum. So that's kind of it for the, the current events, the hot topics that hit. I want to switch into kind of what are we doing for information sharing? Where are we finding this information? And then circle into kind of the events now that we're back to, I think, almost everything that was in person is in person again. But just to start off with, Leonard, let's start off with, where do you get this kind of information? Where do you get that, that inner circle, if you will? What are your go-to spots? Well, the, the Archer family is always... Uh awesome about sharing information via our internal, um, you know, Slack channels. Um, so that's, uh, that's how I found out about the, uh, the Dragos incident, um, as well as the, the ABB, but, um, there, there's certainly some industry specific, um, information sharing websites, you know, that I try to, to, uh, frequent. And I thought all you FERC guys had like a little lapel pin that would just start to glow all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> Went to a secret website. Ah, we 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 uh, you called into the skiff for a top secret, not secret meeting. <laughs> the top secret one where they tell you everything from the headlines. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Steve, what about you? Where do you see a value in getting plugged in, or or really making sure you're you're active these days? Yeah, well, you know, fundamentally, you know, from an information sharing perspective, the best. Uh, Sources are always your peers in the industry. Um, just talking to people that are that are working in working in the business, uh, and really, I try to get in person meetings where I can. You know, that's uh, like going to, going to events, being able to have those hallway conversations is great because in person, face to face, people tend to tell you things that they would not say on a meeting online, um, and maybe not even in a in a one on one phone call. Um, so that's that's great for keeping tabs on you know the trends and what's going on from from a headline perspective. Obviously, there's various news sources that'll that'll dump the headlines out there. But uh, as you know, I'm I'm a little biased because I'm affiliated with EnergySec and I rely on some of the EnergySec staff to keep me up on what's going on, particularly in the world of NERC, um, their newsletter, and being able to, to to reach out to a staff member and say, hey, you know, what's the status of this particular effort? There's a lot going on right now in the compliance world, and it's it's impossible to keep up. So I, I like having that resource available to me. But uh, you know, in terms in terms of events, obviously the uh, Energy Sex Summit uh, every summer. I'm looking forward to getting back down to Disney in July and attending that. Um, actually, next week I will be in Kansas City for the NRECA CyberTech Conference. Um, I have a 30 minute speaking slot there. I'll be um, Hopefully, dishing out some wisdom, <laughs> or and not foolishness. We'll see, we'll see what we say there. But looking forward to seeing some of my friends from the cooperative space and uh, uh, connecting and touching base back there, and uh, 
later out in the year. I think uh, keep an eye on the API conference, which is in November, uh, to you know reconnect with some of those connections in the oil and gas sector. Lynn, what kind of uh, events you have on the calendar so far for the rest of the year? I'm not as in demand as Mr. Parker is uh, for speaking engagements. So um, <laughs> uh, I'm here. There is you're available. Yeah, exactly. No, I definitely uh, plan to be uh, attending the uh, Energy Sec Summit, um, the uh, API in the fall, uh, WEX conference as well. Um, but um, yeah, again, the, the return to in-person events is is great. Now, if we can just get everybody to stop wearing their masks, right? I would say I went to the WICF NATF one a couple weeks ago, and I don't think I saw any masks in the room. So, lots of free-flowing discussion. I think everybody was pretty happy to be together, to actually share some of the things. A lot of the things that nobody wants to say out loud were kind of hushed and whispered, kind of around audit approaches, and I don't want to sell anybody out, but yeah, I think the only ones worried about going too hard right now are the regions and NERC. But. Mm. No, I'm looking forward uh, to Energy Sec. That's be a fun one. Completely agree with Steve's uh, comment that you know, um, meeting with your peers and colleagues in industry, you know, particularly at some of these events and the, the hallway conversations that occur. I mean, that's uh, a key uh, information sharing uh, aspect that the industry that is, um, you know, can't be uh, understated how important that is. Yeah, it's one of the things that I had a guy that I worked with at Homeland Security he's always tell me that it's always a different relationship after you break bread or have a drink with someone. You're, you're talking to a person, not an email address or a phone number anymore. Kind of thinking about that, one of the things that I'm also seeing start to come back with the in-person are the social events, after hours, the happy hours, whatever those are. Um, are those, what are your guys' thoughts on those? Are they worth the time and effort? Always go, maybe go? Ready for bed at that point? What are your thoughts? No, I, I think they're a mixed bag. I mean, um, you know, some some of them I think are uh, certainly worth it, but um, you know, in other cases, uh, you know, we've been to some some pretty big uh, after hours events that you know, um, some very very nice venues that were were hardly anyone showed up for. So, yeah, I always try to look to see what else is going on. Is it just going to a bar and? Drinking, or is it like the event we did last year in Scottsdale where there's top golf, so you have the opportunity to look like a fool in front of your, your colleagues? And a little activity piece mixed in there. Also, how far it is, how easy it is for me to bail. I know there was one I looked at years ago when we went to an event in Dallas, and it was it looked really cool, kind of a boutique cigar whiskey lounge, 45 minutes from everything else around the convention. So politely declined on that one. Yeah, if it's a, akin to uh, you being kidnapped for a timeshare presentation, you probably uh, want to skip that. Unless you're just fond of buying timeshares, which I know at least one person is. Some folks are in the market. You never know. <laughs> Say, Steve, what's the best one of those kind of events that you've been to? Ooh, Besides that, the Energy, Energy Sec VIP dinner. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously, we gotta we got to rule out the... That's a league of its own, right? But... The best of ones are where you are in a community you're familiar with and you have some some contacts so you're not just walking into a crowd of strangers um, and a lot of it depends on your personality type I, I tend to be an introvert so i do better when i have a few people i can kind of latch on to and and then branch out from there and make some new connections but the the after hours events that are associated with a conference tend to be good because 
large groups, a lot of people there, a lot of opportunity to see see faces you haven't seen in a while. Um, the more you know, bespoke, smaller after hours ones, those are more intimate and can be more valuable. But then again, as Leonard said, it depends on depends on who's there and, and where it's at. So that could be a mixed bag. So I'd say for kind of one more question around the horn here before we wrap up, but for those who are going to an event and it's their first time there, or maybe they are a little more introverted, any tips, techniques, recommendations on how to get the most out of it? And for me, I'll start. I'll jump in and start. I'm a, I'm a coattail grabber. I know I was very fortunate when I first started going to the ASIS ones that I could latch on to Darren Nielsen and just follow him around. Um, but try to find that and eventually find my my tribe wherever it is. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll second the coattails again. If there's somebody you know or can make a make a small connection, uh, and then you get introduced to somebody else and you kind of go from there. It's uh, very hard to come into a room completely cold. But if you got a got that entry point, that can help. Worst case, find somebody who's good at selling and just follow them around. That's that's actually exactly what I was going to say. Is if you're you're lucky enough to have uh, an extrovert with you, uh, I like Steve uh, tend to be introverted, but um, you know, sales salespeople tend to be extroverts, and uh, you know, they're good with getting those conversations started and kind of inserting yourself into those uh, situations that you might not feel comfortable with uh, if you don't know the people uh, that uh, you're mingling with. Um, but yeah, it's always a good opportunity to uh, step out of your comfort zone and make some new friends. I mean, certainly one thing that I've learned over my years in the industry is, you know, everybody's struggling with the same um, same issues. Uh, so you definitely have friends out there. Um, and uh, might have some tips and solutions and um, you know that you hadn't thought of as, as well as growing your uh, interpersonal network um, the, the value of that is just uh, phenomenal so yeah I, I highly recommend taking advantage of those situations when you're in them agreed the more you can grow your network the better you're going to do the more the less you have to figure out on your own I'm a big fan of uh, ripoff and duplication as Brian Carr calls it big R&D guy and it's really easy if you have somewhere else somewhere else to start Definitely recommend getting out to the events where you can network, get to know people. Um, don't feel like it's ugly or dirty or whatever. Just be yourself, learn, make new friends. Thanks everyone for joining. It's been a, another great Direct Connect. We'll see you in the future. Not only is Direct Connect available to listen to, you can also watch each episode on our YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com forward slash at ArcherU. If you're interested in who we are and what we do, you can head on over to our website at archerint.com. You can also follow us on our social media platforms, Archer International on Facebook, Archer Energy Solutions LLC on LinkedIn, and at Archer SEC on Twitter. Thanks for listening and check back every other week for brand new episodes of Direct Connect.